Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle Award-winning novel Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series, and officially Pretty Ugly, which was released yesterday. With me, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Alison Martin, the author of the Bourbon Books. And today we have a legendary author with us. He is gracing us with his presence. It is Mr. Joe Lansdale. You probably know him because he's written 40 of your favorite books. He wrote Bubba Hotel. He has written uh, cartoons, comic books, TV shows, movies, everything. He's won every award you've ever wanted to win yourself. And he is here with us. And we're going to be talking about his amazing career and as well as his new book, Moon Lake. Welcome. Thank you for having me here. (laughs) Thank you. Tell our audience and our viewers a little bit about yourself. Yeah, okay. I, you know, I was born in uh, Gladewater, Texas, which is about an hour and a half from here. And it's a small town of about 4,000, but we moved to a smaller town of 150 when I was about four. And uh, I grew up there till I was in the fifth grade. And then we moved back to Gladewater because we were looking for the metropolis. And um, <laughs> I, yeah, my father was a mechanic. He was, uh, he could not read or write. He learned later to write his name and to read a little bit. My mother was a very dedicated reader. And uh, my, my, my father, like I said, was a mechanic. My, my mother did uh, sales. She used to sell world book from door to door. And so I read almost the entire world book because that's what was there. I think I was short like <laughs> one volume. And, and for whatever reason, why do you quit with one volume left? But I, I did. And uh, so I and I had the big world book dictionary. And so I grew up with that. And we didn't have a, a library in Mount Enterprise at that time. They they were clever about building one when we moved just to, right about a very short time before we moved the summer before. But they had a bookmobile and there was another kid there. I, I don't even remember his name, but he didn't like to read. And so he let me choose the books that he would check out and he would give me his books too. And I would read all of them before the bookmobile came back. And uh, people across, there was a lady across the street. Her name was Ermadine. I can't remember her last name, but she loaned me some Hardy Boys that her kids had had before they grew up and went off. So, and my mother would pick up used books and stuff. We didn't have much money for books. So most of them were used. And and I remember people coming in and going, why have you got all these books? And my mother, who was a very polite and very easygoing woman, but she was irritated at that. And she said, well, we stack them up and stack them. And I thought, well, yeah, that probably made more sense to a lot of those people. Because readers weren't You couldn't possibly read them. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of readers now, but comic books were the thing that really got me going. And when I was about four, I started reading uh, comic books. And um, I, I learned how to read through comic books with my mother and my sister-in-law, Mary, reading to me because my brother was 17 years older than I was. And so, you, you know, I, that way it was more like two only children. We kind of joke we're both only child, an only child. But I started reading comics and I, I was so excited by them that I started trying to draw them and write the little balloons and the, you know, the stuff. And um, I never got anything finished, but I would write that. And then I discovered that I was probably a wizard as an artist. I was probably an, an, an outstanding, amazing 
amazing artist. And then when I turned six, I was still the same artist I was when I was four. And as I got closer <laughs> to school, I graduated at all. I was still that same Look, artist. No, you were a wonderkind at you were four. Wonderkind. Just hold on to that. Yeah. Best artist. Yeah. Always I got it at four. That should be in your bio. World's yeah. greatest artist by the age of four. four. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot in there, but, but I didn't see any of my art. Yeah, and, and, but what I found is I like the stories, and the stories appealed to me more. And I begin to grow with the stories, and and the stories just became more interesting. And then you know I begin to, and I, I also have to give TV credit because TV was relatively new then. I was born in 1951, and by the time I was four and five years old, TV was beginning to be a thing, you know, and. Uh, they were starting to borrow things to put on television. So some of the things that they borrowed were old movie serials and old movies. And so that's where I first saw all the old Tarzan movies. That's where I saw uh, universal horror films and all of that stuff. And I was just a fanatic for it. And all of that led me to the source material. And, uh, I, you know, I started reading Edgar Rice Burroughs and Jack London and Mark Twain, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to be a writer early on, even though I didn't really quite understand what that was. You know, I knew that I wanted to do it. I didn't know people did it for a career because I didn't know what a career was, but I knew I wanted to do it. And then when I read Edgar Rice Burroughs, I knew I had to do it, you know, because it was just perfect oh. for a kid when I was about 10 or 11. And that got me going. And, and Classics Illustrated uh, Comics also led me to all of the books and stories they had adapted, or at least most of them. And so that, we, that's kind of why I became a writer. I, you know, um, I used to that's own a comic book store. Um, I'm a yeah. huge comic book fan. So I have to ask, okay. who was your favorite growing up? And is that like your favorite superhero or your favorite comic? Was it Tarzan or? I, I love Tarzan, but, but you know, the uh, uh, Classics Illustrated, uh, classic, the Tarzan, I didn't start reading those books until later. I read John Carter of Mars. It was the science fictional stuff of his. But the comics, it was probably the superhero was, was Batman, uh, and it still is. And I've written Batman. I've worked in that field, so I'm kind we of know. you know branded. <laughs> I've made a full full, full circle, and uh, you know I, I liked uh, all of the DC comics in particular. And when the Marvel came along, I thought they were better written at that time. But I always preferred the DC comics. I liked the Flash, and I liked Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, and so on and so on. But I read a lot of off channel comics too, things that aren't even around anymore, you know, and, and, uh, I read some of the funny animal comics, but I, you know, I, I was reasonably precocious and in a very short time I was reading novels, you know, when I was very young, you know, and, and I'm sure that I didn't understand a lot of them, but I remembered a lot of them and uh, classics illustrated caused me to pick those novels when I could go to Gladewater. I had a library card there, even though we lived in Mount Enterprise. And then when I went to Gladewater, I lived in that library. And uh, that was my thing. And then on Saturdays, I'd go in, read at the library all day, check out books. And then I would uh, walk uh, to the drugstore where you could buy a hamburger and stuff at the drugstore. Then I'd have a hamburger. Then I'd go over next door to the show, which was right behind it. We called it the picture show, which, you know, the movie, a theater. And so we would go in and I would watch the uh, serials and then I would watch the kids movie. And then I would watch the two movies. Uh, one of them was usually a B movie and shorter, but you didn't have to leave when they were over and I'd just stay all day. And so I, I think I learned a lot. That's the perfect day. Yeah, the perfect day. 
and then oh, I'd go home, day. and then if I, I didn't get in trouble, I'd stay up and read a little bit, you know. And and then I was gonna uh, ask if your the parents day, knew where you were all day, or was it just like well, yeah, they you, they, they knew I was the there, and <laughs> yeah, it was you know that was really kind of a safe place to be for me, and 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 back then things seemed safer, maybe they weren't, but we thought they were, and well, we uh, I never had any, yeah, I, I never had any trouble with it. I and the you know I could walk from the library to the drugstore and then the drugstore was next door to the show and then my mom would come pick me up or my dad would come pick me up and sometimes after I'd seen it once they'd make me leave but on Saturdays they tended to let me sit through it that entire time because they would go over and visit with my aunt and and my uncle who lived in, in Gladewater and then we would go home we lived out on the other side of what they called Hell's Half Mile which was honky tonks and and, uh, you know, just a rough, rough place. And we live right next door to a liquor store. So they had a, an interesting clientele and, you know, it changed places. But at that time, that's where, that's where I live. We lived in different spots. But it sounds oh, like the movie theater that. was your babysitter. And I kind of love that. It's like, all right, yeah, it well, we'll lock you. Yes. it's fine. Yeah. The, the library, it was my morning babysitter. As soon mm -hmm. as it opened, I went in there and then, uh, you know, the drugstore was a brief stop. And then, uh. <laughs> The theater was my my babysitter all day on Saturday, and obviously during school nights I didn't get to do that. But during the summer, I just lived in the theater, and I'd go watch the same movie over and over and over because it was air conditioned for one, and we didn't have air conditioning. There was some air conditioning in some stores, but that wasn't a time when air conditioning was everywhere. We had what they called a swamp cooler, and that's how we we cooled ourselves off. Oh, what's a swamp cooler? Like the They're not good. They're like the old <laughs> man. Yeah, well, they were they were better than anything then because we'd spray the back of them, and you had a small room. It, it was fine as long as you were kind of in front of it. <laughs> it wasn't so bad. I've had to put but like, like, the old like bowls of ice cool. cubes in front of fans. Yeah, we got our yeah, air conditioner, and I'm like, too. that works. <laughs> well, we used to go buy ice by the block because you know you didn't have many in the. Uh, you'd have the little ice tray and it would go up there, maybe two ice trays. And when we had like family over, we'd go buy a block of ice and they would cut a block of ice and they'd give it to you, take an ice pick and you'd chop it up and everybody would have the Kool-Aid and the, the tea and what have you. And along with pimento cheese sandwiches. Oh, and then sometimes the kids I think that's a mayonnaise <laughs> I'm like, oh no. Yeah. Um, I thought a mayonnaise sandwich was good back then. I didn't know it was oh. just essentially lard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still have just mayonnaise sandwiches, but it is good. It's good. Um, so, it was Joe, yeah. When did you you knew you wanted to be a writer at a very young age? At what point did very you right. realize that you were straying towards darker fiction and stranger fiction? Well, you know, I've I've always been someone who was attracted to horror and science fiction, and usually the science fiction was more of a dark type. Not always. Uh, and, and, um, I collect crime. You know, I remember the edge of night when I was a kid was a soap opera, which came from the radio show, I think. And, uh, Henry Sleaster, who was a crime writer wrote those. And so I, I grew up with those when I was home in the summer with my mom, I would watch those after captain kangaroo, you know, that, that came <laughs> on a little later. And so I had my dancing bear and, you know, all that stuff and the cartoons and then the Tarzan serial. And, and then suddenly I'm, I'm, you know, listening uh, or watching the edge of night. And when I was growing up and I was very young, we still listened to the radio and the radio was on its last legs as far as those sort of things. But most of those shows like the soap operas and things, they came from the radio and people don't realize it, but 
shows like uh, The Shadow and Suspense were still on when I was a kid. I faintly remember them. And I'm sure they must have affected me because I've always been like a sponge. And especially when I was younger, I just absorbed all this stuff. And because uh, the people would used to be, how do you know all that stuff about dinosaurs and astronomy and all that? And again, I was another m incredible scientist until I was 11 or so. And then I ran out of wood. <laughs> you had but, more, more years as a yeah, scientist. You know, but I was interested in everything. Longer. I still am. I'm, you know, I studied anthropology and archaeology. I never graduated, but that was a big interest. And, you know, I, I think that that's uh, what most writers are like. At least I, I think the ones I respect and admire are the ones that have had some life experience and have had some, uh, you know, broader interest. Because a lot of the writers I talk to, if you go back four, four years, they're out. They haven't read anything before that. And yeah. when we were growing up, we read all the old stuff because that was available, you know, for one thing. Yeah. And second and of all, it's still respected yeah. and revered. Yeah. And there wasn't anybody telling you this is what you should read because mm -hmm. this is correct. Mm -hmm or this is for, you know, for children or whatever, you just read. And, uh, you know, and I, I read the new stuff and I read uh, the old stuff. And I'm always lo was looking for something else, you know. And I, I think that it was a constant ravenous hunger for information and story. And I've still got it, you know. And uh, it's changed somewhat. It's altered somewhat. But it's still the same in, in the broader sense. Well, and I hear what you're saying about, so you were looking into being a scientist for a while. My kind of, which way am I going to pivot in the career path was lawyer or zoologist. But I talk too much to be a zoologist out in the field because I make all the monkeys mad. But I still have yeah. a love for that. And so some of my stuff works in that. And that's that's where my love of science fiction goes because I actually like the science. and I'm not always good at it because I'm about, yeah, I do. I do I'm about a 15-year-old scientist, <laughs> you know, right, way right. too much math. I, I think I think I was more, yeah, that's what killed me, the math. I it's think math. I was more fantasy math. science fiction oriented. I, I like sort of science fiction that was fantasy. I never leaned towards, I'm going to make people mad, but I never liked Tolkien. I couldn't read it. And uh, I read The Hobbit and, and almost had to do it at gunpoint. I wanted to do it <laughs> to know what was going on. I read all kinds of things that, that I, I wanted to understand the fields of fantasy and science fiction and horror and crime and mainstream and literary. So I read Hemingway one day and, and maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, the next, and Edgar Allan Poe one day, and Richard Matheson, the next, and Ray Bradbury, you know, and, and then I might read the Scarlet Pimpernel, you know. I, I, <laughs> I thought that nobody was telling me what to do, and I wasn't going to school for to be a writer. When I went to college, I, I, I think I took four years to get 60 hours, and, and I had to quit because I didn't have the money, and I started selling my writing. I was doing what I really wanted to do, and I studied those things to keep from studying writing because some of the writing courses I had had are English courses. I never had a writing course. I had English courses. One of them told me when I wrote a story, he said, I hope you're never going to be a writer because this is too fantastic. Oh, and, oh uh, my you know, gosh. And I that just, I just thought, yeah, I'll show you. Yeah, I'll show you. And oh. then, uh, uh, I, but anthropology and stuff was kind of geared me over to the side where I didn't, I could think about other things. And, I, I still get mad when people call chimpanzees monkeys. So you can see I yes. had quite a impact. That's wrong. I wrote a children's story that will never be published that says I'm not a monkey's uncle. And it goes through all the great apes, including bonobos, because I get really mad. <laughs> yeah. like, They're not monkeys, okay? We're not going to encourage any more bad mouthing of Tolkien, but he's not watching. So you can't offend him. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're safe on that run. But no, I will say yeah, I loved yeah. the Lord of the Rings. Well, I, I think I offend a lot of readers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Peter I, like, I, I, 
I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just was never drawn to high fantasy much. I liked fantasy, but I liked uh, Richard Matheson and Bradbury. And, and there's some things in between. You know, I like some Robert E. Howard, at least yeah. in the earlier days. I think there came a point when I said, you know what? I think I know how this works. And I love it. I love Howard because Howard represents to me a Texan who was isolated like I was and who decided I'm going to do this and did. And I did the same thing, except I was a happier person than that guy. Uh, You know, his stories were very limited to me after a certain point. I still go back and reread them from time to time. I still have a love affair with him and Burroughs. But there are certain, I think there are certain writers at certain points in your life that will hold your heart forever. And there are some who impress you that you'll forget within a week. You know, it's hard to always know what what touches the spine, you know. But for me, that you know, Edgar Allan Poe and, and uh, uh, you know, later Raymond Chandler, but Edgar Allan Poe and Burroughs and, and people like that were really important to me. And then when I f- discovered Raymond Chandler and Hammett and Kane, and then I realized the world was bigger than horror and science fiction and fantasy. And I had always read adventure novels like Jack London and things like that. And I realized one day, why do I have to choose? I don't you have don't. to choose. Yeah. And, and I'm not great. Writing- I like this. Yeah, in your writing, you don't. And I, I think one thing, when you said no. you're a happy person, that comes across so clearly in your writing. When I started reading Moon Lake, I was I started putting down some of the, the lines that just made me crack up. And I had to stop because I was never going to get through the book doing that, where you describe the landlady as having her hair looking like it was colored by strawberry jello and beet juice. And I just laughed so hard on that because it was such <laughs> a perfect description. And you knew it, was, it wasn't exactly a put down, but it probably wasn't a compliment. <laughs> no one's trying yeah. like a fruit salad. But yeah. so many of the lines yeah. are just, here you are dealing with, some really suspicious suspect things, some macabre issues. And then meanwhile, he's talking about putting a rhinoceros in footy pajamas. That juxtaposition <laughs> just sings to me. And it, it gets, you also get stuff like that when you have Elvis and JFK and a mummy. Yes. I mean, I'm <laughs> down to Bubba Hotep forever. <laughs> yeah. And, and Bruce Campbell in the film, he just nailed it. You know, him and Ossie, they just nailed it. When, when I heard the premise of Bubba Hotep, I thought to myself, there's never been a movie that is more being written specifically for me, because I have always had a strange fascination with JFK and Elvis and mummies. Yeah. So when I heard this, yeah. I was like, what is this magical film? I couldn't wait to see it. And I've seen it so many times. And I was like, I was like shouting it for like years. I'm like, it is the, the best representation of a movie that I would write myself. Like, what if Elvis <laughs> JFK fought a mummy? Yeah, the, the, that's the funny thing about the that is that comes from the fact that that my sister in law uh, graduated high school with Elvis in 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 Memphis. You know, at uh, what? She really? And, yeah, because like I said, they're Amazing. seventeen years roughly older than I am in that area, and uh, so my brother met Elvis through her. And so when he first met Elvis, <laughs> he was working at a theater, showing people to their seats with a flashlight. That's what Elvis was. He wasn't Elvis yet. He was Elvis, her schoolmate. But my brother said, he said when he met him, he said, boy, that guy's got something. I don't know what it is, but he's got something. Because my brother was trying to record records. My brother did music and stuff like that. He had a band and he wanted to record. And he made some attempts at Sun Records. And he went into one place. He finally decided he might get into radio. And he went to one place and was sitting and talking to this other guy who was trying to get into uh, radio too. And it was a school for that, for people with voices that, were good for radio and things like that. And they got to talking and that guy was Johnny Cash. Oh. 
<laughs> and that's before he was Johnny Cash. And then wow. weirdly, uh, and his son, John Carter Cash, who I think is just a hell of a good guy, is my daughter's uh, producer for a couple of her CDs, you know, for her music. And so it was kind of like a, a big full circle in a way. And we went over to Glaywater where I grew up, right down the road. They had a radio station and Elvis and, and Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis and Ray Price and numerous, you know, uh, people played there live. And I was just living down the road, listening to it on the radio. But to you me, you could have gone. gone. You could have crashed. Oh, that I didn't party. know. Uh, I couldn't. I was too small. <laughs> I was, well, they would have let a five or six kid in there. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And there was a, you know, we lived on a hill with a, with a honky tonk below us and a, a drive in theater across from us. And then down the road a little bit was that radio station. And that radio station became, um, you know, a place where you can record music and it, it's, it does producing of music. And my daughter did two songs there so she could stand in the room where Elvis, you know, played live. They didn't record there. They played live. And then on the wall, they have the old soundboard where Jerry Lee Lewis scratched his name into it. You know? <laughs> and uh, so it's kind of become like a little historical site in Gladewater. And it, I can't remember the call letters of the... Uh, uh, the radio show, but Tom Perryman was the guy there. And Tom Perryman in the history of music is, is very, very important, especially rock and roll music and early country music of that era. Anyway, country music of that era, because um, Sun Records and uh, uh, the Louisiana Hayride and Gladewater were the most important places where Elvis and, and Cash and then play. Uh, Cash wrote, I walked the line in Gladewater. And so, Sorry, yeah, in one of the backstage like so where he was supposed to go on, and the and the the little hotel or motel where Elvis stayed is still there. It's been turned into an apartment uh, complex, but they still have his little card where he signed in in the room and everything. So it's got this big uh, rockabilly history that uh, you know made it fun for her to record there, and it made me fun to it made it fun for me to think I, they were just down the road from me, and I was too little to realize it. Well, I'm just so, thinking summer vacation road trip. I'm going to Glen. I know, like what a <laughs> you great need to place go. to go. You need to go. Yeah. What a great. So, so there's that's where you get your Elvis inspiration. Where did the JFK? Well, I was a uh, I was a kid when he was assassinated, and and that was just like an incredible impact on all of us, you know. And and I grew up on mummy films, and and I, I was always fascinated with those things. And I had this title in the back of my mind called Bubba Hotep. And uh, it was my plan to to use it. Oh, and I, and I might I might not add before I forget it. In Gladewater, they have a giant bookstore like Larry McMurtry used to have that takes up an entire couple of blocks. And uh, if you ever go to Gladewater, you can shop for crazy for books, you know. And uh, it's I think I'm moving. I, I hear that. And I'm that was there when I was growing up. And the cozy theater I used to go to is still there, but it's no longer open. I think it's for sale. <laughs> I was tempted. Oh. How much do we need <laughs> to gather to buy know, this movie theater? I'm, I'm, not, sure. How much? I'm not sure. Like we could yeah. turn that into like a film house and artists and writers retreat. And I would. So oh, I never get out of the bookstore. I would just I be thought about happily it. lost <laughs> looking for the books. <laughs> say that could be a good retirement plan for your family. Owning it, a theater. Yeah, Maybe, you know, your be. daughter can move in from like accounting to. <laughs> right. Right. Well, she's got her career as a, as a singer and a writer and yeah. uh, PR, and she did. She used to do some modeling. She's been in films. I mean, she's. I don't know what else she could add to what she's doing. My, my son is a, is a uh, a stockbroker, and he's written two screenplays that have been filmed. He's got two under option, 
he and I co-wrote a novel. He's written a short story. And he's written a lot of comics. So, I mean, we're all busy. You have incredible yeah. DNA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, my wife actually wrote a few th- stories with me, but she is the, really the uh, the manager and the person who made this all work. And, uh, you know, I think about that every day that, you know, you, you see us up front, but here is the real brains behind the operation. She kept us from running into each other, more or less. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I've always felt that I was the luckiest person in the world in that respect. And I met her when we were 21 and we've been together ever since. And I'm 70 in a couple of months. So, you know. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. But I also just love hearing everybody's involved and everybody's doing all these things, but also working together rather than competing against each other or trying to one up each other. But I mean, your daughter sounds like she's what's it? What's a girl version of Jack of all a Jackie of all trades, a Jacqueline of all trades. Yeah. Yeah, My brother also does some publishing. He used to write for comics. He wrote for the last incarnation of Tales from the Crypt. And uh, my uh, my niece, uh, Pam uh, Dunklin, also Pam Lansdale, she had a TV show called Lone Star Justice, which because she was a detective for the sheriff's department. And when she retired, they they put that show together with her and her the people, the, her, the sheriff that she worked for and her partner. And they did a series of uh, you know episodes that were true crime on the ID channel. And so, and there's other stuff like that. Most of the the other people kind of popped up later. I think I started the fire and everybody else started throwing some wood on it. I'm glad. I like it. Is, is there a way that we could become members of your family? Like, yeah. How, how is this? And is like, it an open adoption? It is, you adopt you, know, you don't really need to pay. We've already adopted Hansi Oppenheimer, so we've kind of got our hands full. Okay. <laughs> like, Allison and I can kind of manage ourselves, but if we could just be maybe <laughs> there like... You go. Like foster kids, adopt foster, like foster, like long distance foster kids of the Lansdale family. Long lost cousins, perhaps. Oh, we could be cousins. Well, I was I was laughing today because my my maiden name is Keen, and we were commenting on Carolyn Keen, which I know growing up when I learned that that was a pseudonym and there was no real such person. So I'm like, so I'm not related to anybody cool or famous. And I was like, no. No, sorry. There's yeah. there's no such person, and your well, your dad. Batman, there's a teen. You get to be at least a comic book character's relative. I'll take that. Yeah, and, I'll take and it. And in Batman, so my father, who's also mechanic, was a mechanic, was named Jim Gordon. So that's why I thought oh. Batman growing up because I was just like, as a redhead, I just was assumed I was Batgirl. My Could name be. definitely well, Barbara Gordon. They just named me the wrong yeah. name. Um, and then my mother's name is Yvonne, and Yvonne Craig played Batgirl mm-hmm. in the That's show. Right. So there was this like six degrees of Batman. So it took me uh, a really <laughs> long time to figure out that like I wasn't yeah. actually <laughs> Batgirl. No. So like my early, like yeah. you wanted to be an attorney, you wanted to be a scientist. I'm like, I want to be Batgirl. Also valid. Girl. Yeah. Also a valid. Batman she was changed a librarian. my life. Yeah, Batman changed my life in many ways. Uh, it. It was one of the major influences of me to be a writer, but also he was interested in martial arts, which I've done for 58 years now. You know, I'm uh, I'm the uh, I'm the grandmaster of the Xinchuan martial arts system and uh, I'm the, you know, the guy that's passing it on now. I still teach. I still teach a, a private class every Wednesday, except this one for obvious reasons. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but you're missing your class yeah. for us. You're missing- 
Yeah, yeah. Sorry and, to uh, all of those uh, yeah. students. I know. We'll sorry, future superheroes. <laughs> Don't come after and us. I was, uh, not the reason I was for thinking, my mom made me a Batman costume because I was going to be a crime fighter in Mount Enterprise. And uh, one night I woke up and found out the next morning the Mount Enterprise bank had been robbed and nobody had sent a bat signal or woke me up. And, and you oh, know, I had it. my own little costume. I had my ears and, and I looked more kind of like a, an angry German shepherd. But I realized then I wasn't going to be a crime fighter because nobody was letting me know what's going on. So that was I don't like that. That is the that would have been your police commissioner's fault. You're, yeah. like, whoever the Jim Gordon yes. was of your town. Yes, he's the yes. one in charge of that bat signal, and it's not on you. I don't even know That's if they had any police there. I, I don't remember back then. <laughs> I think that was I think the That's sheriff wrong. kind of covered that that area. They do. I think <laughs> now they've got like one policeman that gives tickets and stuff, but I. I don't think there was uh, anything like that. Oh. And, so you're and saying it's a, it's, it's a town times, that's perfect for a bank robbery because it is. Yeah, it was. It was robbed several times. Well, and that was something even in, so in Moon Lake, that was something that was interesting because here you've got this town. It's like, well, you got the sheriff department and you've got a, a police department and who's kind of in charge. And, eh, no one's really sure. And is anybody doing anything about clearly corrupt things going on? Meh. No one seems to be all that concerned. <laughs> what what did you said there was someone in your family named Pam who's police related? Pam, Were they yeah, all Pam, concerned? Pam did, they read, did they read Moon Lake and say, This is a bad representation of our No, no, no. She read, she read Moon Lake. It was, and she was a very fine detective and uh, she solved a lot of cases. I'm, I'm really proud of Pam. And, and then she was a private detective for a little while after that. And then, uh, then she got into the, this film thing. But she's, she's done a, a ton of other things besides that. But that's, that's kind of the stuff that, you know, stands out, at least to most people. Oh, and Chad, uh, she's says, someone hey, no. that I... That I yeah, can you hey, see Chad, the comment? thank you. Chad, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. saying, love yeah. Moon Lake, but, great but book. Know, she liked the book, too. She, she, You know, we know that there's been corruption, but we know there's been places that aren't corrupt. It's not... When you write crime fiction, you're not picking the best attributes of human beings. That's that's right. why it's got crime. <laughs> That's not fun. Yeah. I mean, even when you so write it horror, it doesn't mean like, they don't exist, but it means you're writing something else. Yeah. So what? When you're writing, do you know? Like, do you plot everything out, or are you just like discovering it as you're writing? I discover it as I go. You know, yes. I, I think my subconscious is doing it at night because I, I get up every morning and I'm ready. And I have a minimum set of pages that I'm set to do, three to five. And then a lot of times I'll get 10, 15. And I polish them as I go. I don't do drafts. I don't do multiple yep, drafts. Except, oh, okay. except on the computer, you know, I'm probably doing all this, this stuff every day. And then when I get through, I do one polish. And there's been a novel or story here and there that's a little bit more difficult than another. So I had to work harder. But generally, once I get to the end, it's 95 to 98 percent there. And then when just rereading it, I get the rest of it. And that works for me because I found that I used to try to do all these different drafts. And I know people swear by it and they like to feel good about themselves. I, I, I do it and I don't feel good worried. about myself. <laughs> no, no, I don't either. I felt awful. I, I think I felt anxious and worried and, and I couldn't keep up with which draft was what and how it, and I just said, you know what, that ain't working for me. And so I, I, I just wrote carefully and I wrote as well as I could, which, you know, can vary from time to time, I'm sure. And I discovered that the muse, doesn't really I'm the muse and the rest of that's just bull because I, I wrote just as well on the days when I thought I was inspired on the, the and, uh, I mean just as well on the days I thought I wasn't inspired as those when I was inspired 
it just ha- I was just having a better time on those days, you know. <laughs> You're just happy doing it. Yeah, my friend and a very good writer, Stephen Graham Jones, once said oh, they were talking gosh. about writer's block, and and Stephen said, do, "Do do ditch diggers get ditch digger block?" He said, "You know, they get up and they they go to work, and that's what I do. I don't get writer's block. Pages. That's stuff to do. Yeah, okay, some so days might be harder than that. Huh? No, I was just gonna say. So you say your goal is like three to five pages per day. What does that roughly yeah. translate to word count? Because people draft differently, have different size font and white yeah, space. What's that about? I use big. I use big font, and, and so it can make <laughs> me easier to get my three oh, yeah. to five pages. Big font, yeah. I Triple do, space. I do, I do twenty point. I do twenty point. Twenty point. Well. I would need 20 point if I took these. I would need 50 point if I didn't have these on all the time. Well, you know, I have these glasses and I keep these as security, but I had my cataracts <laughs> removed. I got 20, 20 vision, but nice. I can't, I still keep these around because I'm scared, you know, oh, but yeah. I, I realize I can, I can read whatever, but I, I do that, but I often get six, seven pages, sometimes 10. So if I set out to get three to five, I'm a hero every day. And yeah. then some days I'm more of a hero. And then if I have <laughs> a bad day, on those days when I did really good, I'm pretty much even. But I yeah, don't have you, any bad day. Yeah. You just keep going with it. Well, and I, I love oh, yeah, that you yeah. polish as you go because I feel like you may yeah. be the first person we've talked to who does that. And that's how I generally go. And I know they say, just yeah. stop stop messing with it. Come back to it. But I can't. I can't just leave it if I'm like, no. this isn't right yet. Well, and then by the time I'm, I'm done. Three to, <laughs> yeah, I might write that three to five pages straight out. But when I get through, mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and tamper with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to quit day, which I never work over three hours a day, most of the time, two, three, and I still get that same number of pages, you know? So I'm averaging 25, 35 pages a week on just an average week. And on other weeks, well, I might get 10 pages a day. You know, I might get 70 pages that I work seven days a week. Well, and to clarify, and, you've also put out 50 novels. So that explains how you do novels. that. Plus, but that's not counting well, teleplays, novellas, short stories, comics. Is, yeah. Someone else yeah. was drawing short those. Pieces, minute. That was not you. Short pieces were probably over 400, you know, counting. People will say short stories all the time, but that's, I mean, I count articles, essays, you know, and all the short stories and novellas and things like that. So you're, you're looking at, at, at a lot of short pieces. It might even be closer to, to 500, you know, if you count all that. And I've done a lot of scripts that, you know, I've been paid for, for Ridley Scott and people like that, that John Wells and things that didn't get made, but I got paid. You know, that's really and, uh, that I did, I don't I did a TV show that did get made on the second season. And uh, I've done Batman, the animated series. I did, you know, four of those. I did a Superman. Uh, I did a, a Batman movie called Son of Batman. And I've done so many different things, you know, the Jonah Hex short. And and then a lot of my stuff has been done like for Love, Death and Robots. And, you know, they did the adaptation. So I. You know, I've got I've got all these different things. I've done a play. I've done two two one act plays. I want to do a two act. I got a musical in the works, and uh, you know, and I'm and I'm planning on directing a film here soon if everything goes well. And it may not. Joe. Well, I hope it does. I hope it does too. I want to hear the musical. I, I know I'm the like, musical. Yeah, uh, Judy Pancoast uh, wrote the uh, music for it for the I think for except for one song my daughter wrote, but uh, she also did what they call the book, meaning yeah. that uh, you know it's a playbook and it's a screenplay my son wrote because it was filmed in a real low budget uh, screenplay kind of uh, done through the university here Stephen F Austin State University where I was writer in residence for a while, and uh, so he he did the screenplay got made and then. Um, you know, she took his screenplay 
and it, and his screenplay was based on a short story I wrote. And so then she did the, the book and we're going to do a podcast, I hope first, and then we're going to try to put it on stage as a musical. So I like a podcast, that. like a radio drama. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So okay, I music. Have what does a writer in residence do? I talk. Okay. So like a lecturing pod writer in residence. Why? Yeah. Well, just like any other teacher. I mean, I had graduate students and I had, uh, you know, at some places I had less than graduate students and, uh, mm -hmm. Oh, Tom is saying he saw a version of the musical in New Hampshire. We did a stage reading and well, nice. uh, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was like we were taking notes and finding out what, what worked, what's up, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, Judy had a lot to do with that, you know, and she's the <laughs> hero. Of all the mailing list. I know. What yeah. theater did you do this in? In New Hampshire. I don't remember we did it. I don't, I don't honestly remember. Maybe Tom, Tom if you're still watching, that. tell us. I know. I'm just like, yeah, how did I miss yeah. this happening? He said, no, I've said my piece. I've gone home. Goodbye. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's Leave all I had to say. I just want to say, I've seen this. Um, so do you have a favorite type of work you do? Like, do you, like, or is it whatever you're working on at the time? Like, do you prefer shorter pieces, novels in a series, yeah. a standalone? I like short stories better than anything. And I probably would do probably a lot more of them if, um, you know, I, I felt like I would make as much money as doing the other, but I don't write the novels just for money, but I write them for money too. If you know what I mean, I make a living doing this and I can't keep doing it if I don't, but I love novels too. It's just, I prefer short stories. Novels are second. I think after that it's, it's uh, martial arts. And then, it, then it's, uh, uh, <laughs> Where know, does Batman it's, fall it's films and comics. <laughs> well, that's next, you know, films <laughs> and comics and all that. Cause I've also written uh, a lot of comics, you know? And, and uh, that that's a dream come true. I finished an Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan novel that he left unfinished. He had about 80 pages and I finished it. I did a Batman novel. I did a Batman uh, young adult or, or really young uh, version of called Terror on the High Skies. The novel was captured by the engines. Um, you know, so I've done a lot of that kind of stuff. I did the Lone Ranger comics, Jonah Hex comics with Tim Truman, who's, you know, my, my favorite artist to work with. I did Conan. You know, my Conan had a sense of humor, which kind of upset some of the uh, diehards. <laughs> the diehard kind of, Conan that, fans do not yeah, want that him cracking jokes. Know, I, I really, you know, I, Howard was Howard. He did his thing and I wanted to give him his due. And I wanted to be, you know, I, I wouldn't be doing this without Howard. I, I and, and as a writer, you know, he had a lot to do with me being a writer, especially being a Texan. And an introduction he wrote about that to Wolf's Head had more impact on me than his stories. And hmm. so... You know, I, I had fun with it, but I wasn't going to try to pretend I was Howard or Edgar Rice Burroughs. But I tried to get the hat box theater, he says. That is where I performed for five years. Was okay, that where you were doing you burlesque stuff or dance? That's where I was doing my burlesque shows. How about I cannot that? believe I'm so upset. Somebody <laughs> at the hat box dropped the, dropped the. I know. I'm going to call them out. No, I'm not going to do it. We, we took all the like, notes they gave us, and Judy re revised, you know, revised it some here and there. It played really well, you know. We didn't have all just necessarily the actors that would be in the show and whatever, but we had all the singing, and we had uh, the zombies were great. They their, their performances were just fantastic. There they were did. zombies. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, yeah, Christmas <laughs> you know of the Dead. That was and you know they had uh, um, sort of um, rock and roll and. Uh, all kinds of music. It's got all kinds of music in it. The so Rockabilly uh, Zombies. That's what I'm going to 
Yeah, well, yeah, Judy wrote some stuff that I think was somewhat marginally operatic, you know, and uh, I think that's really cool. And uh, it's good stuff. I look forward to it. We've we've been going on with this for years because it's it's it has to be a secondary thing so we can raise the money. But I think the podcast, which looks like it's on the horizon, I hope, and then that will be followed, I hope, by the musical. And uh, we'll see what goes from there. Um, I want tickets. I want to go again. That checks off the rest of the boxes that zombie. I mean, that mummy Elvis and JFK didn't check off. It's like musical. You just said rock music. If it's a rock opera with zombies, I am there. Well, some of it sounds rock like, and some of it is, is, is really more, um, I I guess what you think of as stage musical approaches to music. And it's, it's a variety. I mean, it really is a mixed bag. I think when we first started doing it, when, and you know Keith, who wrote the screenplay, and me, and and a friend of ours, Tim Bryant, who is also a musician, and um, you know uh, we we were and Brad Mall, who starred, who was one of the stars in the film, he was in um, General Hospital for twenty years. I was going to say, why do I know that uh, name? Oh, General Hospital, Doctor Tony, yes. Doctor Tony. <laughs> I know, yeah. and he, yeah. he started that. With Mary he sang Bobby. one of the numbers, and he's a great singer. So we sat around the table. With uh, uh, you know Judy singing and and, and Brad singing because he lives in Nacogdoches and teaches film you know and uh, and so Tim was there to listen to music I was there to comment but Judy was saying I don't know you know we're mixing all kinds of music I said believe me this do works it. do it yeah we did we did oh and she gosh. did a great job I um I'm really geeked up about this more than probably I've ever been like excited about anything in my life because again you then you just checked off the general hospital box and I didn't even expect it yeah. to be popping up in there. I'm like wow, my childhood yeah. and my teen years. Brad used to be with 20s. some music group. I can't remember. He was with them. It, it's you know it's, it's something like the new Christy Minstrels. It's not that, but it's you know that kind of maybe it was that. Anyway, I don't know, but he was with some group like that and he you know he's been in a lot of other shows and He's a very he's talented, a lot of stuff. and I remember and he him directed singing a, really, a couple times really at General Hospital. Right. He directed a small film uh, just a couple of years ago that, that I don't think enough people have seen, and it's just terrific. And uh, the guy's multi-talented, you know, and you know, I'm, 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 I'm glad he's here in Nacogdoches. It's amazing. I'm sorry. I'm just like, I have to like pick my jaw up off the yeah. floor. Bring it back it's up. So Dr. Exciting. Tony, if you remember, he was the really good looking doctor. I he was do the guy remember, that, and yeah, yeah, I do remember, and I, I, I was just about to start like rattling off general hospital plots, but I'm not. No, that's okay. That. I'm just gonna no, and I, I was going to say, as soon as you said, oh, he's the good looking doctor, I would challenge anyone to show me a general hospital or any soap opera doctor where it isn't the good looking right. doctor, because they're all right. of, like, sexy, doctor handsome, it's kind of a requirement, like med school and supermodel, both. Yep. Yeah, because that's exactly, exactly who's becoming doctors. Mm-hmm. It's it just is. like the really yes. attractive yes. people of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, Brad was Brad had a part in the, they were going to refilm uh, Christmas with the Dead with more money as Christmas with the Damned. And they took the original script and my son wrote it, uh, a little, wrote, rewrote some of it, but he also was going to direct it and he was going to do it more like he had envisioned it when he wrote it. And Brad was going to be in it and COVID came. And so that got uh, and, and that's what happened with the one I was going to direct. We were working on the one I was going to direct, and COVID kicked that out. Peter Dinklage, who's still going to do the thicket <gasps> next year, but at that time he'd had options on it, and the COVID killed it twice. You know, so what was Peter Dinklage going to do other than probably drink? My novel, The Thicket. 
That's amazing. Yeah, he was supposed to do it it's, it's scheduled for next year sometime. I, th- I think early, but I, I can't say for sure what they're going to do. But they re-optioned it, so I know that they intend to to do that. And then I've, I've got some stuff I've written that's coming out in film, but I can't talk about it right now. So I hate that. So pesky. I think that's every time we've gotten anybody who's got something in the works for film, it's always, I've got something. And that is all I can tell you is that it might yeah. exist and you might eventually yeah. hear about and it. And then sometimes not. we grill people. Yeah. I spent the money. You spent the money. You're like, I don't care what happens next. So long as I well, have I a check, check went to the I bank care. and you yeah. guys do something well, with it maybe later. I would love to see right. it. Done. Well, they did. Well, they did cold in July and I was very happy with Cold in July. They did the Happen Winter TV series. I was happy with that. I was happy with Bubba. I was happy with Incident on and Off a of Mountain Road on Showtime Masters of Horror, uh, the Batman stuff I did. So I've had a really and, and the uh, and the Love, Death and Robots that they adapted. I've had a really good run. So I'm due for a big stinker. No. <laughs> no. Well, first off, it's, it's not Moon Lake. And second, I just wanted to throw out there to properly prepare it. Last night, I did watch an episode of Batman, the animated series, Perchance to Dream, because when I told my husband that we were interviewing you, my husband is not the biggest reader, despite the fact that he actually teaches writing. But when I told him you'd written for Batman, the animated series, he got super excited, started looking up which episodes. Some of his favorite are ones you've written. So I said, okay, well, do you want to watch one? Yes, I want to watch one. So we watched it last night. Cool, cool. That's a fun one. He was he was excited I, about that. I got to work right. with Roddy McDowell without ever meeting him because he was uh, <laughs> the Hatter. He was, and, you he know, was Elizabeth the Montgomery. Yeah, and Elizabeth Montgomery was in uh, you know Showdown, and and she used to be on Bewitched, of course. Yes. and so that was cool. And I think David Warner was in, in that episode. I the other, so many the different. Voice- there was one more voice I recognized and I had to pull out my phone immediately and look at it. I'm like, why do I know this voice? And it was Diana Mulder, who was also on Star Trek The Next Generation as Dr. Pulaski. Okay. I'm like, I knew I knew it. Nerd alert. <laughs> I, I, I hear Star Trek voices and I'm like, I know this person. Hold on. I would have but, gotten the Elizabeth <laughs> Montgomery, though. You would have gotten Elizabeth Montgomery. Right, I think right. she was also in a Lizzie Borden TV movie in the 70s. She was. She was. Yes. And that was that my, they first I know my creepy New theory. England stuff. Right. That's where they first did that theory on film where she did the murders nude so yes. that the blood washed off very quickly and she was able to get dressed and not have blood on. That was at least their Very theory. pragmatic. In a weird yes. fun fact, at that Hatbox Theater where you did your stage reading, I did a Lizzie Borden burlesque number. Only you would do Lizzie Bur- Borden With your hatchet? Did you have your hatchet? There was a hatchet. I wasn't Lizzie. I was the maid that she might have had a relationship oh. with. It was. Right. You know, powerful theater. <laughs> it was a burlesque Lizzie Borden. It was our Halloween show. It sounds it did fun get a standing to me. ovation. <laughs> People were like, that made me cry weirdly. <laughs> like they did not expect when they walked Good. in the theater that night. Good. At least they're not like crying, like, oh no, my eyes. That's my pit bull you hear. He's barking. I or keep something. hearing a little bark going on and I keep thinking it's my dog. And that like, dog is clearly bigger than your dog. That That's would eat your it's dog. It's Nikki. Yeah, it's Nikki. He, he she... gets chased up and drive by rabbits, you know, so he's <laughs> oh, not a... I love pit bulls. He just tries to act. He pretends to be one. He plays yeah. a pit bull in Most TV. do. Yeah. Most do. But really, they are all... Yeah. They're lovers. Like little babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they like to get up close and hug, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, you have been an absolute delight. 
I, I hate to cut this off, but we are out of time. I understand. I appreciate you having me. <laughs> um, uh, we really appreciate that you Thank gave you. up your martial arts class for us tonight, <laughs> Joe. Thank you. I hope... Uh, Hope it was okay. Yeah, were we were we okay? No, they're okay with it. Yeah, they're okay with it. They're okay with it. Yeah, I, I once in a while they know I have to do it because of my. You, you my have career. to be. Yeah, you have. And to I used to teach Lansdale. five days a week. You know, I taught five days a week, and now I have other people who do that, and I teach uh, just the private classes. Last three years or so. Oh, uh, that's amazing. So, so yeah. um, Allison and I will probably plan a vacation to where you are. We can talk mm -hmm. about the formal adoption proceedings then. That's right. Find uh, us in that bookstore right. somewhere. I'll we'll be, be in the, the science fiction store. shelves. Just I'll be in horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can go to Gladewater, that giant bookstore they have yeah, there. That's where we want. Oh. Alyssa, thank you. Oh. Yeah, Alyssa says, Joe, you are so fascinating to listen to. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. I could have listened to you for hours. Oh my gosh! Well, well Lisa, I, clearly we're going to sign you up for one of his his martial arts classes, and then you get to listen to him as much as you want. <laughs> uh, Joe, I hope you come back um, anytime, anytime, really. Um, you're always welcome. If you ever just say like, "I want to talk to those two weird girls again," mm -hmm. um, we're here <laughs> for you. We would love that. Um, so Y'all are a lot you, of Joe. fun. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank yeah. you, Joe. Um, I also want to say thank you to Roman Saraton, our producer. Thank you to Pam Stack, our executive producer. Thank you to everybody at the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. Um, thank you to everybody who watches our show every week. We are the number one show, the number one video show on the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. So uh, without, without amazing guests like Joe and fans like everybody who's watching, uh, that wouldn't be a thing, but it is. So thank you. Stay tuned next week when we have Carter Wilson, uh, the author of Dead Husband, and also the woman in Apartment 2A or the, the body in Apartment 2A. I know something I'm getting like that. that. Something with 2A. I know I'm getting that wrong, but uh, Carter will be I here think next there's week. a murder. Murder in 2A. It's that. So thank you, everyone. And this has thank been you. a copywritten podcast on the Global Authors on Their Air Radio Network, and we will see you all next week. 